But let's open our Bibles this evening to John chapter 19. to go through my Bible and scratch out all these Roman numerals and write real numbers in. John chapter 19 and verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene, and when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have, all, have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But God hath set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word this evening. In John chapter 19, we have something that the Lord Jesus did every now and then. And he did a, a real-life parable. We understand that a parable is an earthly story that teaches of a, a heavenly truth, Right? But sometimes Jesus in his ministry grabbed something that was actually happening and he used it as a parable. We have the, the example of John chapter 13 and the washing of the disciples' feet. And there he was washing his disciples' feet and there was Peter and thinking, boy, you, should, you better not be washing my feet. You're, you're the Lord. And, and he said, I don't want you to wash my feet. And the Lord says, well, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. And then G Peter, going to the other extreme, says, well, the, you better wash the whole thing then from top to bottom. I want my hair shampooed and, and my feet scrubbed. And the Lord said, no, he's washed all over, doesn't need to be washed all over, just his feet. And it was a, a real-life parable talking about if we're saved and we've been washed as we've read, we've sung tonight in the blood and in the water, because Titus chapter 3 talks about the washing of regeneration of the spirit. 
We only need to be washed all over once. And positionally, once we're saved, we're always saved. Once Jesus has saved us from our sin, he's cleansed us from our sin, positionally. But practically, beloved, we still walk in this world, don't we? Sometimes if you're a carpenter like me, and, and I don't know why the Lord put our thumb here, but he put it just in the right place to whack it with a hammer sometimes. And sometimes I work with people, and when they whack their finger with their hammer, all sorts of nasty things come flying out of their mouth. I don't know if that happens to you, but sometimes it happens, and, and the Lord isn't very happy with us. And then we confess our sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, because practically... We're unclean. And we, when we confess it, he cleanses it up. And that's where we walk. How are we walking? Where are we walking? And that's what the, the Lord is trying to teach us in that parable. And here he's, he's doing it again in John chapter 19. It's not a truth about salvation, but it's a truth about the body. The Lord Jesus knew he wasn't going to be on the earth very much longer. He knew that within a few hours, he would cry out, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani. He would cry out, into thy hands commend, I commend my spirit. He knew that was coming. And him hanging on the cross, he looked down and he saw his mother. And he saw the disciple that he loved. And Jesus, knowing that he wouldn't be able to take care of his mother anymore, he saw the disciple that he loved and, and he said, Behold thy mother. He said to his mother, Behold, behold thy son. I'm not going to be able to, to take care of you anymore, but I, I'm going to put you into the hands of somebody who will. And I'm going to put you into John's hands. And John says, the scriptures from that moment took her to his home. He didn't see it as a problem that, that Mary didn't belong to his family physically. It wasn't of the genealogy. It didn't matter to him. What mattered to him was it was part of the body. Because the Lord couldn't be there physically to, to minister and to provide for his mom anymore. And he had to put it into the hands of somebody who would be there physically. And beloved, the same thing happens today. Do you know that? And I know the scriptures say where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. We all know that verse. But he's not here physically. John could say that whom we have seen and heard and touched with our hands. But we can't say the same as John could say. Or can we? 
Colossians tells us that he is the head of the body, which is the church. So maybe in some way, somehow, all those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, says the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 12, he has placed into that body as he wills. And so now, beloved, when we speak, when we talk, when we hug, we're taking Jesus' place. You see, John was like a substitute for our substitute. Jesus couldn't be there to minister to his mom. And he couldn't be there to minister to us. Although he was present. And we knew that he answered his prayers. And we'd like to thank you. From the depths of our hearts. For being the body. A lot of you pressed like as I wrote daily updates. Some of you didn't. I encourage you, just press that like button. <laughs> not, not to get famous or anything, but you know, when I would look at it the next morning, because I would type them, I still type them in the morning, and I say, it says, Christian Stratton and 150 other people like this. I knew that 151 people at least had read it and are praying. And that encouraged us. And that's part of what the body does. We thank you for your, your support. Dave and Margie came down, Sam and, and John and, and Cindy came down to, to physically be there and to hold our hands and to pray with us. Thank you for your economic support. We left the hospital. I don't know how big the bill should have been, but we left the hospital not owing anything. It should have probably been several million dollars. And the Lord worked it out some way, somehow, that I mentioned doctors stopped charging. Nurses stopped charging. Physiotherapists didn't want money. <laughs> and the Lord provided. Some way, somehow, through, through thick and thin, the Lord used the body. I heard a sad comment the other day of somebody who might lose their commendation. And the comment was, well, we can get money from other places. And that grieved my soul. I thought to myself, if, if my brethren weren't praying for me, I don't know how many times I phoned Dave up. Probably in those first week, maybe twice a day. And uh, he was a source of, of comfort and assurance. Uh, when you all would press like and pray, I can't imagine thinking of the assembly as, 
as a source of income. It just it doesn't even enter into my mind. And I know the Lord provides through you. But what would I do without you? The Lord can make money appear in a fish's mouth. The Lord can feed 5,000 men plus women and children. The Lord can, can raise from the dead. But that's when he was here physically. And now he uses you all. And we'd just like to thank you. Allison's come a long way from dying twice on January the 20th. She had emergency surgery that evening that she needed to relieve the pressure that was building up in her brain. It was a 15 milliliter aneurysm, which is quite a lot. The doctors and the nurses in ICU testified to us that Allison was one of the worst cases that had ever come in and left alive. And we attribute that to the prayers of the saints and the mercy of the Lord to us. But unfortunately, I can't say he answered all of our prayers. I remember the second night there, there was a little girl named Milagros, Miracle. And her parents were believers. And I remember talking to them the day before and, and asking them, well, and this baby, there was a baby born without a pallet. And she was, he was there in ICU. And, and where are that baby's parents? Why aren't they here? Well, they're really, really poor. They can't even afford the bus to come in. And the Lord, through his graciousness, uh, we gave them a gift. And I said, well, you don't miss tomorrow. They came in for the regular visits at 11 in the morning. They didn't have to leave it when visiting hours were ending. At four o'clock when we went in to visit Allison again, they were still there. At five o'clock we left and at eight o'clock Martine came down and, and Milagros had died. It was a hard thing. And I only knew them two days. How does that happen? It's because they're part of the body. And when part of the body hurts, when part of the body weeps, the rest of the body is supposed to hurt and weep the same time. It was just a small gift we gave them the day before. <laughs> I didn't know if they had the money to come in on the bus or not. 
I'm sure glad the Lord put it on my heart to give them a gift so they could spend their last day with their daughter. A little boy, Luis, with a cleft palate who didn't even have a name for his first two weeks, he died. We prayed for him, prayed for his parents. We prayed that some way, somehow, the Lord would provide that his parents could come and visit. And all of a sudden, they were showing up every day. But their little boy died, too. I remember writing one day in, in Facebook, I don't know if I'm drinking water just to put water back in my body because I'm supposed to drink a few liters of water every day or if I'm just putting it back so I can cry some more. Not just for other people's children, but for Allison, for Stephanie, for my wife. It was a, it was a humbling time. It was a time when, as we talked about this morning, as we went through that desert experience of our lives, the Lord was trying us. The Lord was proving us. He wanted to see where our heart was. It was a very hard test. It's still a hard test. But we see the Lord's hand leading us through it. That very first week, the first Sunday after, there's a, a little boy, well, he's actually a big boy named Alberto. And we were praying for Alberto. And his dad would, would come up in the morning and say, are we going to have a prayer meeting like we did yesterday? Because we'd have a prayer meeting in the waiting room. And we'd pray for all the kids. And I said, sure. And so we'd pray. His wife, Jesus, is a lovely lady, a believer. But he wasn't. And he just couldn't get over the fact that his, his relationship to God was such that he couldn't pray for his own son. Beloved, imagine being in a place where you can't pray for your own flesh and blood because you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that Sunday, Victor, you just couldn't handle it anymore. And he accepted Jesus as a savior. I don't know how we found out where we lived. I told them the name of the town. Our town's fairly big. It's not huge. It's 20,000 people. I don't know what he did. I think he drove up and down the streets, but he found our house. And the Lord saved Victor. And I thought to myself, well, you know, Lord, if, if that's all you wanted to do, well, let's just... Take her out of the coma, get her walking again, let's go. I thought the Lord was, you know, it's a hard way to save somebody, but if that's how you want to do it, well, that's good, let's go. 
He wasn't done yet. My parents flew in on January 21st. They were with us for a long time. But somewhere between January 21st and April, they became believers. I don't think it was because of my eloquent or fancy preaching. I think I wax elephants rather than wax eloquent. But I think it was the testimony of the body. Every night there were at least 30 or 40 people there visiting us to help us, to support us. And they couldn't figure out why 30 or 40 people would drive an hour to visit us when they had to be at school and had to be at work the next morning. And I think it got to them that nobody loves them except for maybe their children. But nobody loves them like people loved us. And they couldn't figure that out. And so we thank you again for for being the body and helping us and encouraging us and being a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ even in, in difficult times. I know not everybody could be there physically, but some way, somehow, through your prayers, there were a lot of brethren came out and visited And it was a testimony to God loving us through the body. The Lord's taught us a a bunch of different things. He taught us about the body. We knew it intellectually. We know a lot of things intellectually, don't we? But now we were learning it experientially. The Lord taught us different things through Allison. There are some newly married folks among us. And I would imagine that it's not very difficult to show affection one for another. There's some who've been married longer and it's still not very difficult to show affection one for another. I read the book, Married But Happy, and, and that's how it's supposed to be. It's an interesting book. And uh, through Allison, she showed us how to show affection, I think, to the Lord. I remember going to the, the hospital one day, and, and there was Allison with her eyes closed and her arms like this. What are you doing, Allison? Shh, I'm hugging God. You ever hug God? Has his presence ever been that close to you? That you wanted to hug him? We thank him. 
Do you blow kisses to God? What are you doing, Allison? Shh. That was her favorite word. Shh. Shh. I'm praying. Shh. I'm talking with God. Shh. I'm blowing kisses to God. It never crossed my mind. Maybe it never crossed your mind either. I never heard any Christian tell that story. So Allison teaches us to love God a little, maybe a little bit outside of the box. And we thank the Lord for using her, for teaching us to love him outside of the box. Little things that, that maybe in, what are you doing? Shh, I'm hugging God. But it was a lesson to me. It was a lesson to a lot of people. She felt the Lord's presence so close to her that she could give God a hug. Do we ever feel his presence so close to us? So enamored with him and his goodness to us. The one who's altogether lovely the one who's fairer than 10,000. Oh, I know Isaiah writes that he had no form or comeliness that he would, we would desire him. Oh, but to the ones that are redeemed, he is the one who's altogether lovely, isn't he? He's that special one that nobody could, could ever take his place. Trading him or replacing him. Would, it's just not a thought that can cross our mind. He's so part of our lives. That to think of life without him would. It couldn't happen. He's the eternal God. And I'm his child. So the Lord was using Allison to, to touch our hearts, to touch our lives, to, to help us maybe love outside of the way we normally do. We say we love him, and, and we think the only way we can love him is by obeying his commandments. And there's a few of them that Pretty good to obey. <laughs> I'm not saying that we ought not to. We should, I'm not saying that we should abandon obeying the Lord by any means. But there are other ways. And beloved, when the body reaches out, when the Lord says, love one another as I have, have loved you, haven't greeted all of you today in a personal way. Back in December, I was preaching on all the one another's from the New Testament. And I was struggling with one in particular. I couldn't quite figure it out. It's repeated a number of times in the New Testament. And most people that teach on it would say it's a cultural thing. 
worry about it. That's just the way they did it in those times, and it's, in some cultures they do it, in other cultures they don't. So don't worry about it, because in our culture of North America, we don't. And it's the one that says, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's a hard one. But you know, beloved, the Lord convicted me. And he said, you know, they're part of your body. And no man ever hated his body. Maybe that's taken a little bit out of context, but, but the general principle is there. We love our bodies so much, we just feed them till they're overbursting our trousers. We love them so much, we exercise to keep them in good shape. The other opposite. We spend hundreds of dollars a year on shampoos and haircuts and clothing. So our bodies look good. And you know, beloved, you're part of the body. And the brethren in Mexico are part of the body. And I was so grateful to have them there visiting us and encouraging us. Then I started greeting with a kiss and a hug. Sometimes somebody would come along who well, maybe, how do we say it in English? They, in, in Spanish, we, we say they cayeron gordo. They're kind of fat in our eyes. And so that sort of means they're sort of undesirable. Uh, they just don't click with us, maybe, is the way we might say it. But they were there. There in our time of need. And I greeted them also with a kiss. It was. It was a humbling experience. It was a recognition of my love and my need for them and my thankfulness that they were there. And the Lord convicted me. I know some of you don't want to be greeted with a kiss. I'm glad Grandma Jean's not one of them, or Auntie Betty. But it's something that the Lord was also teaching me, loving one another even more. Because how is, how is the world going to know that we're his disciples? By loving one another. Isn't that how we sing the song? They'll know we're Christians by our love, by our love. I know some people say that's such an old-fashioned song we shouldn't sing. There's no drums and there's no this and there's no that. But, but you know, there's a lot of truth in it. And I wonder if there would be less divisions amongst believers if we sang that song a little more often. And not only sang the song, but remembered what it says. And actually thought, you know, the Lord said that. 
because I think that's how my parents got saved. I think that's how Victor got saved. He just couldn't figure out why someone who didn't know his boy would take time and pray for his boy and do something that he couldn't do. And he saw the love of the Lord Jesus expressed through us. Whether in our tears or our prayers or working through us for the provision of of different things. I mentioned that we left the hospital not owing any money. I didn't mention that we went six weeks without ever going to the bank. I remember one Sunday afternoon, they sent us out looking for medication, a medication that, that costs 1,200 pesos, about $100, which maybe isn't a whole lot to us, but it's probably a week's wages, at least for a Mexican. And that's if they have a good job. And we needed four doses. And we just paid it. <laughs> the Lord allowed us to buy medications for others. Um, we were not to, to say anything good or bad about anybody, but we were better off than a lot of people that were at the hospital. And they needed medications for their children too. They needed lab tests done that the hospital didn't provide. They sometimes needed rides. We'd, all the children had a, an infection that they got in the hospital. They had a, a fungus growing in their blood. And twice a day, in the morning and in the evening, we had to make a trip to a laboratory and the taxes would charge them about $7 six dollars to to take them to the lab and back and you know some people were paying you know just get in the van we're all going to the same place we're getting the same test we got to wait for the same results and we'll just come back and the lord allowed us to do that i remember one brother bringing us some tortas one day they're the big they're sandwiches that's sort of the mexican word for sandwich i guess but he, he brought us some big tortas, like they're the size of a plate, the bread. And we had just finished eating. And so I just put them off to the side and I spied a couple across the way whose boy was in ICU. His name was Luis. He was in there because he had pneumonia. And while he was there with pneumonia, he got influenza, H1N1 the kind that was killing people. His parents were, were indigenous people from the south of Mexico, and, and if you know anything about Mexico, uh, racism is alive and well. Uh, they're still not even really considered citizens by the government. They don't have birth certificates, they can't get a passport. Nobody's ever graduated from school. And, and nobody 
ever treats them nicely. They're always taken advantage of. Maybe a little bit like the indigenous people in the United States before they got casinos. But I saw them there and I sent them a sandwich. And I saw them dividing it into four because there was two that I didn't notice. So I took the other sandwich over and they were so pleased. Someone was doing something nice for them for about the first time in their whole lives. And from about that moment on, they became good friends. The Lord allowed us to be there and he changed our ministry so drastically, so profoundly, so deeply, that it, it switched our way of ministering. It can't just all be from the head. It has to be from the heart. Sometimes we do things and we say things and we're not really paying attention to what the person really needs. And that's something only the heart sees. Or I see lots of things. Someone gave me some advice once. If, if you see your wife crying and you ask her what's wrong and she says nothing, don't believe her. Because something is wrong. And you have to see it with your heart. You can't see it with your ears because your ears heard there's nothing wrong. And so, some way, somehow, the Lord, even though all things aren't good, our Lord is so great that he can work all things to good. And so we thank him for his graciousness and mercy towards us. We thank him for using you all as his body in helping us and encouraging us and, and upholding us before the throne of his grace during all this time. Allison's walking much better these days. She's getting her coordination back. Her personality is more or less there, intact. Uh, but she can't see. The doctors don't know why she can't see. The area with the wounds and the damage shouldn't have affected her vision. And they can't see in the MRIs or in all the x-rays we have of her head why she can't see but they say it's about a 0% chance that she will see again, which is why we're on our way to Canada. We're gonna, in Mexico, unfortunately, if you have a disability, it's like you've been delegated to sixth or seventh class citizen. You're not really alive. Um, Sam was there in his wheelchair and, and he didn't get around too fast in his wheelchair because even at the hospital, it isn't designed for wheelchairs. Not even the bathrooms are designed for people with disabilities. Two nice, great big sinks for washing your hands in and a little teeny weeny stall. And 
that even the smallest wheelchair wouldn't fit in. So we're taking her to Canada so she could learn Braille, how to use a cane. I have no idea what else she needs to learn, how to feel money so she knows the difference between a $1 bill and a $5 bill. But we keep praying that the Lord would be gracious and restore her sight. We know he can. We're not sure if he wants to or not. But we know that he is gracious and he is merciful. And someone sent us a little note that says, if you're praying for a yes and you haven't heard a no, don't stop praying. Beloved, we haven't heard a no yet. So we're not going to stop praying. Every now and then, even today, I was putting my hand by her eye, and at a certain angle, she can see shadows. She can't see colors very well. She can't make out forms, but she can tell differences in intensity of lights. And so there's some action going on in her brain. Her eye is in perfect physical condition. The problem is in her brain. So we keep praying, and we thank you for keeping praying. And if you get to the last... 10 seconds of your prayer time and you're not quite sure what to pray for. Remember, oh yeah, there was this preacher there who said, pray for his daughter's vision. Pray for their time in Canada. And if you do that, we would be very much indebted to you. Not that we could be more indebted to you than we are now. We thank you again for being the body, for loving us, for caring for us and our prayer is that we wouldn't be the only ones that you love in this way but you would love one another as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her and that all the people that look in and say what's going on at Claremont Bible Chapel they would say look they love one another and in this world, beloved, where love is growing strangely strange, they need to see what genuine love is. Not settle for any imitation as we love as the Lord loved us. The Lord bless you. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy toward us. We thank you for helping us and guiding us through this day. We thank you for the rain that fell outside. We thank you for giving us this nice place and the freedom to meet as we do now. We know that other of your people aren't so fortunate as us and they may be met in a jungle in secret and it rained on them as they tried to remember you and study your word. Some are in jail for the cause of Christ. Some have even died today because they didn't want to deny the Lord Jesus. And we lift them up to you. And we pray that you would give them grace in this time of need. We thank you, Father, for the truth of the body.
And even though Jesus isn't here physically, he's given a substitute, the church. And so in a way, as he guides and leads as the head, his body is here. And we pray for this body here at Claremont that they would be sensitive to what the head says. They would be sensitive to where he guides and directs. And do your good pleasure. So we commend them into your hands and we thank you for their love and their care for us. And we pray that the world all around would see that they are Christians by their love one toward another. That they would see that they had been with Jesus. And so we commend them into thy tender care. As we go our different ways this evening, we ask your hand of protection around us. As I take my family up to Canada, we also pray your hand of protection around us. We pray for Allison. You continue to heal her and raise her up to, to health and to strength again. You would be gracious and merciful and give her vision. We think of others, like Mrs. Hawk. We think of Will. We think of some of the older folks at Western Assembly's home. We think of Margie. We think of different ones of our loved ones who are in need of your help and your strength, who are in need of your grace and your mercy. Some of them know the Lord Jesus as their Savior and, and just need a little bit of assurance that you're with them. Give them grace, we pray. Some of them have denied the faith. Some of them are not believers. And they don't know what it's like to be loved by you. And we pray that they would know. And if you want to work through us, we pray that you work through us and that you could love them through us. So we commend ourselves into your hands, praying your healing hand upon those who need healing. Give their family strength to cope and grace to go on so that your strength would be shown perfect in their weakness. For the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.